Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of The Media Beat with Maureen and Claire. Uh, Maureen Kerr, uh, head of the media practice at Arthur D. Little, a management consultancy. She advises firms and investment companies on all things media. And Claire Tavernier, who is... Maureen's associate of many years, my associate of many weeks now, I'm very happy to say. Claire is a media commentator and she has worked in the industry both as an advisor and uh, in line management positions, senior level, various media companies. Hello, Claire. Hello. Claire was surprised there because I usually say hello to Maureen first. Maureen, <laughs> hello to you as well. <laughs> Hope you're well. I'm I'm very well, thank you. And I also thought you were going to say Maureen. <laughs> I, I went weirdly high pitched there, but that's fine. We can pick up with it. it. Well, it sounded very friendly and sincere, so that that was good. So uh, we've made it through to episode ten, uh, my friends, uh, as I always thought we would, uh, and we thought we'd do something a little bit different today. And what we're going to do is have a sort of competition. There's no scoring. There's no points. And um, both Maureen and Claire will be first at the end of this. Um, although maybe we should have come up with some kind of scoring system, but never mind. Um, what we're going to do is it's sort of a variation on just a minute in that we're going to have two minutes and there is going to be no stopping for re re repetition or hesitation or deviation. Uh, but what we're going to do is have uh, Maureen and or Claire speak for two minutes on a particular subject. So a real nugget. Um, you'll get and then the person who hasn't spoken for two minutes will just respond to that for one minute so we're going to get through 10 topics so 10 topics for episode 10 that's the idea so I think uh, maybe we should don't um, crack on okay that's fine I'm also timekeeper timekeeper and scorekeeper and I'm in charge and it'd be great because I'll just be able to say time's up you've got to stop as well so that'll be fun so uh, all the hard work will be done by Maureen and Claire I'm very happy to say and let's start with the first topic which is a topic for Maureen Maureen you have two minutes and the topic is is cinema dead starting now oh thank you Oliver uh, is cinema dead no uh, and why do I say that? Um, well, let's rewind. This is a pre-pandemic uh, age-old sort of debate discussion uh, between studios and the cinema about how they uh, use the cinema as a means of distribution. Um, and pre-pandemic, um, everyone had acknowledged and realized that cinema was the most significant contributor to launching of a film uh, and making considerable amount of money for the studios and for the cinema. Uh, but come the pandemic, uh, and all of the cinemas were shuttered, for good reason, um, it afforded the opportunity to uh, the studios uh, to cover the costs of the films that they had made. Um, and so they adopted this, uh, uh, this, this approach, uh, which was, let's just release everything on the same day, either, uh, you know, in on their streaming services. Um, and of course, without the cinema to air this particular um, film, uh, they went full steam ahead and developed what was called a PVOD, Premium Video On Demand. Now, that kind of went quite well. Um, and Universal was the groundbreaking uh, studio to uh, launch Trolls, uh, Trolls World Tour. Uh, which is an animation film, and did quite well. Um, it secured about $100, $100 million. But uh, it actually didn't pan out as they had thought. So fast forward a couple of years, uh, cinemas then start to reopen. A couple of films like Tenet, 
the Christopher Nolan's uh, um, film was actually put on cinema. Uh, Sony decided not to set up any streaming services, uh, but Disney, Warner and Universal all were continuing to launch all their major films on streaming. So as I say, fast forward uh, a couple of years. Oh, there's your two, there's your two minutes, Maureen, I'm afraid. Maybe Ooh. summarize in five seconds. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, so, so cinema is restructuring. Cinema is still there. Studios will come up with some sort of hybrid method, as they are doing, of putting great films like Spider-Man on in the cinema and then other films on streaming. Thank you very minutes. much. Yes, two that was brilliant. Goes by quickly. Two minutes. Oh, two minutes goes quickly. This is what we said in the briefing <laughs> session. I think we'll find two minutes goes by quite quickly. Yeah. Let's see how quickly one minute goes by. Claire, you have your chance to uh, um, respond to that. And it's a maximum of one minute, of course. You don't have to fill the whole minute, but I'm sure you can. One minute on Is Cinema Dead starting now? So cinema is not dead, uh, but it's going to have to reinvent itself quite significantly. It's interesting to look at the box office in 2022, which looks like it's going to be about double the box office of 2021, which is great news, although not surprising, because obviously this was the pandemic year or the, the, the second year of the pandemic. But it's still way below pre-pandemic levels. And there's a real worry amongst uh film studios that people have just caught, gotten out of the habit of going to the cinema. That's the real problem. It's a behavior thing. Do you, why would you spend a hundred pounds, you know, five of you going to the movies, paying for popcorns, etc. So I think where we are is cinema needs to reinvent itself as a premium experience. And that's where it's going. And not all movies will be released theatrically, but there will be some tentpole events. Cinema is still the best way for people to discover movies. It's still the best tentpole for, for big marketing campaigns. So a cinema is not dead but it needs a new model and that was done in exactly 60 seconds to the second remarkable Whoa. if there was scoring in this i mean claire is uh claire you is have to give it to claire you yeah that, that was you have to give amazing. that to claire I mean, I'm cheating, actually, because I I decided I'd, go, I'd get a timer on because otherwise there was no way I was going to get there. Oh, we're giving away the secrets now. We're, we're showing people oh. behind the window, behind the oh, mirror. Okay, okay. No, uh, it was on, all, I, I did it all out of the, my, my, my sense of timing. <laughs> Uh, no, that was, that was really impressive because as, as it was five Very. seconds to go, I thought, my gosh, she's summarizing perfectly and bing on one, <laughs> on, one, on, on one minute it was done. So that's it. Cinema is not dead. Uh, the next one is that old chestnut uh, theatrical window uh, versus day and date release. I find this stuff fascinating. It's another data driven question. Um, Claire, it's, uh, you're up. So you have two minutes on the theatrical window versus the day and date release starting from now. So what does it mean day and date release? It's a, it's a very obscure way of saying things that uh, means that the, the movie is released on the same day in the movies and on VOD platforms, either as a paid VOD or within subscription VOD uh, platforms. As Maureen said in the previous topic, that's a, a strategy that's been implemented more and more during the pandemic. And... The question is, what will be the future of it? It's very interesting because this week we've had two completely opposite um, news uh, items relating to this. First of all, Netflix has decided to release their new um, the Glass Onion movie, the new Dalvin Craig movie, in theatres across America and the US and a number of other countries, across 600 uh, cinemas in America, which is a huge release. It's, Netflix has done theatrical releases before, but they tend to do them on a small scale, and it's mostly so they qualify for the 
for the award season. This is not it. This is a proper commercial release. And they're going to put it up in cinemas for one week and then they're going to have it on Netflix. It's a very short theatrical window, but it's an interesting, it's an extra, a, very, a very clear change of strategy from Netflix. On the other hand, in France, where theatrical windows are very regulated and it's still much, much longer than anywhere else, in France, if you release a film theatrically, you cannot put it on VOD platforms for 17 months. And that's actually reduced quite dramatically in the, during the pandemic. Disney is having a bit of a tug of war with the authorities and saying we will not put Black Panther 2, which is their big release, in cinemas because we we cannot wait 18 months before it goes on Disney Plus. And there is this mode. They are trying to influence, you know, the, the, the regulators because obviously cinemas would, this is a Christmas release and cinemas would be penalized quite dramatically if, if, Net, if Disney didn't put Black Panther 2 in the cinema. So they are pushing very, very hard for perhaps not day and date release, but certainly much shorter um, theatrical windows. And there we go. Your time's up. Pretty darn good. Uh, Two gongs going off at the same time, just to show that we're well, cheating, basically. Uh, yeah. But that, again, a beautiful arc, yet again, Claire, uh, in the explanation. Well, I, well, I, I, did, I didn't quite manage to get my conclusion in, but I think I did okay. Yes. Cool, no, this is stressful. Do you know something? Do you know something? This is this is this is this is Claire showing that she is an amazing producer. I mean, she she can even in one minute and then two minutes develop an arc, an arc of a story. I mean, and this is unfair competition. This is not a, a level playing field. <laughs> this is um, this is amazing. It's producing yourself. No, it's it's impressive. Stuff. No, Maureen, please don't, please don't uh, put yourself down. You're making fantastic points, and in fact, you have one minute starting from now. Uh, on the old chestnut, uh, theatrical window versus day and date release, starting now. Okay, so building and developing on what Claire was saying, um, it is an old chestnut, and the pandemic did really allow for the studio's big experiment. The big experiment being day and date, so they dropped films in that first window for rental and then that first window for a cinema release. But look, Spider-Man is now grossing uh, uh, $1.8 Uh, And that was actually through uh, the cinema uh, theatre window. So theatrical windows are not 90 days anymore, not zero, but probably average around 45, 46, 47. And I can show that because I've got a nice little table up in front of me. The Batman, Warner Brothers, 48 days. Sonic, the Hedgehog, 46. And last but not least, Uncharted, 67. So uh, I think day and date... And the theatrical window uh, will average in to the mode of between 40 and 45 days. And I'll stop there. Oh, Maureen's <laughs> back in the game. Back in the game. That was magnificent. Magnificent. It had an arc. We have puzzles coming out from every, every yeah. corner of the recording. This is, this is us <laughs> learning to deal with buzzers. Yeah, we've opened our kimono in terms of how this game is working, but that was utterly <laughs> magnificent. Uh, 100 points to Maureen. I'm just going to give away random numbers of points. Oh, this is so impressive, but we have to move on because this is a pacey game. That's uh, that's that's part of the reason. So, I, I should um, say, just, just to say, Maureen had the really hard job of going first. I was very happy that you had, you had, didn't have to do the first topic. So, you know, well done to her. I, I learned... 
learnt by looking at, at how much you did it. So, yes. Because you're going to be so good at this. By the end, we've only done two out of oh, ten. Um, which means you must crack on. But, the, yeah, exactly. The the improvement levels are amazing from, from very good to spectacular. So we're moving on to Microsoft and Netflix now. The next two uh, subjects are related as were the previous two. Uh, it's uh, Maureen's turn. You have two minutes. The subject is Microsoft and Netflix, the combination. Who benefits more? Who benefits more? Sorry. Uh, Microsoft or Netflix. You have two minutes maximum. You don't have to use them all up on that subject, Maureen, starting from now. Microsoft now has uh, set up a commercial arrangement with Netflix. In Netflix endeavors to uh, uh, set up a tiered advertising-based uh, model and added to its subscription model. Uh, everyone was quite surprised by why Microsoft? Uh, and when you ask the community, uh, the media community, uh, they say, this doesn't make any sense. You know, Microsoft does not uh, in any way uh, accumulate or contribute to the advertising community. And then you throw out a number like 10 billion. Microsoft actually uh, is able to generate 10 billion of advertising revenues. And everyone says, well, is that just through LinkedIn or something? No, it's not. It, it made some very, very smart acquisitions. And acquisition is the thread and the theme of this particular point. Microsoft has uh, acquired AppNexus, renamed and rebranded Xander. Uh, it has also acquired companies like Promote IQ. It also has its own uh, relabeled uh, Bing and Yahoo and the like. So it is a significant player in the advertising community. Now, of course, Netflix was scrabbling around, you know, who should it partner with? Um, and I think there were lots of rumors and lots of uh, discussions that Netflix would partner with either um, NBCU, Peacock or Google. And everybody was surprised that it decided to go with Microsoft. I wasn't surprised. I think Microsoft is a significant player and a white knight for Netflix. And I'm actually assuming that it's Netflix that benefits from its commercial arrangement with Microsoft as opposed to the other way around. And I'll leave that note, I'll leave that point, I'll leave that discussion item for, for Claire to pick up in her one minute, because I'm gonna leave you with 10 more seconds. I'll see my 10 seconds to Claire. Uh, I'm afraid that's that's not in the rules. Uh, there is no seeding of... Se it's, it's so rebellious. It's, I made it quite clear at the beginning of this that I was the quiz master, I was in charge, and you're making up the rules as you go along. This is uh, unacceptable, and it, it's exactly the way I umpire cricket, uh, if I ever get to, get to do that. Uh, my word is final. It's the only thing that supports my male ego. Uh, there shall be no seeding of 10 seconds to uh, other opponents in this, but I did think that was a marvellous explanation, Maureen, if I say 57 points. I thought that was great. It, it, it really explained it to me um, as, a, as a layman, so I appreciate that. You have one minute, though, Claire, to either rebuff or support Maureen's argument that um, the big winners are Netflix, because I thought there was an argument beautifully put and explained. 60 seconds maximum from now, Claire. Uh, yeah, I think the, the, it's definitely a good deal for Netflix. I think for Netflix, speed was of the essence. They needed to get this done very, very quickly. They were absolutely, it was critical for them to get it ready for the Christmas season, which is very short term. And they also needed to partner with somebody who was going to support them and not necessarily compete with them at any point in the future. And that, therefore, uh, Microsoft was a perfect partner. Microsoft also, remember, put a lot of money on the table in terms of minimum guarantee, which was which was an argument. I think they put 
more than double the next one down. And that must have counted for Netflix, which, as we all know, is pretty cash poor. So it's very positive for Netflix. But let's not re- let's not forget the advantages for Microsoft, who, as you said, Maureen, has just acquired and, and set up Xander. And this is a huge accelerator for Microsoft's uh, advertising business, online advertising business, you know, a massive one. They're certainly playing with the big boys. So I think it's, it's a pretty balanced deal, to be honest. It's a win-win for me. Again, not bad. That was within a second, within a second of uh, of the minute. Absolutely remarkable. But uh, well done both. Very nicely explained. I think I think the the answer is obviously there's something in it for both of them. Netflix might have the edge moving on. Um, now we have uh, the related question. Uh, Claire's going to talk for two minutes on this, two minutes maximum. And this is, again, about the uh, Microsoft Netflix deal, but this time about timing. So uh, the prediction made is Microsoft will not make a move for Netflix until 2024 at the earliest. That's the hypothesis. You have two minutes on that, Claire, starting from now. Well, there's a lot of speculation that this deal between Microsoft and Netflix is the precursor to Microsoft buying Netflix. It would make sense. Microsoft definitely has the money for it. Netflix, especially with the higher interest rates, is looking like an acquisition target. Uh, this in this initial link-in might be a really good way for them to get to know each other, etc. Uh, and the acquisition makes sense both in terms of the, the Netflix subscribers, but also to some extent the fact that Netflix is a huge uh, cloud user and has you know a lot of uh, technology to deliver high volumes of video uh, very efficiently. And this, this is technology that Microsoft could use, actually. But Microsoft is currently embroiled, remember, and we talked about this very early on in the podcast, in the acquisition of Activision which is quite tricky and is involving a lot of regulatory approval at now because the UK has left has left the EU at three levels, UK, US and European Union. And they're spending enormous amounts of time, effort and money uh, trying to get this through. If they announced today or even at any point during this process of Activision that they were going for another massive acquisition in a related field, there's a very high chance that it might uh, endanger that that Activision deal, which, to be honest, is worth a lot of money, as we discussed previously for for Microsoft. So I and I think they also want to see what Netflix is going to do with their advertising tier and whether that's actually going to work at any point. And Netflix certainly is looking all the cheap, not necessarily entirely stable at the moment, and with higher, higher competition, etc. So. I do think Microsoft is looking at Netflix potentially as an acquisition target, but I don't think they would they would move on it until certainly until the Activision deal is secured. That's me. Perfect. Uh, with ten seconds to go, again, really, 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 very, very close to the target, and also very clear as well. Thank you, uh, Maureen. This is completely your stock in trade as someone who advises investors. Um, could you please give me one minute on Microsoft will not make a move. For Netflix until 2024 at the earliest. Yes, Oliver, I will do that. Um, I uh, tend to agree with uh, Claire here, uh, no- notably because, um, look, if the Activision deal wasn't in the background, I, I think they would make a make a move on Netflix uh, to very very quickly. Um, and 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 the reason for that would be probably because Netflix will be at its cheapest point or lowest point in terms of valuation, um, and I don't think they'd worry about whether or not you know the advertising funded model is working or not working. So I think they would they would have gone for it, 
um, but because of the integration efforts plus the regulatory efforts, I should say, uh, uh, to do with um, Activision, I don't think they'll they'll do that. In fact, it probably will be 2025, possibly. It takes a couple of years to fully, fully integrate a business. So I think they'll be sitting, watching, waiting. They'll learn a lot. But no, no move in 2024. I suppose it's not as if someone else is going to... Oh, wow. You got it right on the nail. Uh, it's not, I suppose it's not as if someone else is going to move in. There's not many candidates who could be big enough to, to buy Netflix. Thank you very much for that. Again, um, an extremely efficient way of getting information across. And I like the way, Maureen, you spend the first three or four seconds um, thanking me for the opportunity for you to be able to speak on a particular <laughs> subject. You're such a polite person. And it's, in perhaps not in a straight yeah. out I'm um, French. I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's my turn you know, now. <laughs> I get, I get, I get five or six or seven seconds, you know, doing yeah. that. So that stretches yeah. it out. I, I learned that from Paul Merton. Paul Merton on Just a Minute does that. He stretches ah. it out. Yeah, and Kenneth Williams as well. That. Kenneth Williams Kenneth stretches Williams it really out. Yeah. Absolute king of yes. Well, the next. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think I did that very well, but. I can do Kim better than Paul Merton. Uh, you're on again, Maureen, though. You have two minutes. The next oh, subject is, uh, yep, we're on social media now. And this is, will TikTok rule in 2023-2? The implication is, of course, that it has ruled 2022. So will TikTok rule 2023 as well? Maureen, you have two minutes, including um, thanking for the opportunity of uh, speaking on the subject, starting from now. Thank you, uh, Oliver. And thank you, Claire, for the opportunity to talk about TikTok. Uh, but my short answer, my short answer to this is absolutely, it is going to continue to rule uh, in 2023, and this is because it has ruled in 2022. Um, now, its nearest and dearest competitor clearly is Meta. Um, there have been a couple of surveys uh, that were published uh, quite recently. One being Nest, that I thought was a fascinating uh, survey to show side by side. Uh, for all of the chief marketing officers, are you going to spend more or less or neutral in 2023? So maybe this has informed my view. Um, but a significant number of uh, uh, CMOs have said that they probably are likely to reduce uh, their spend on Meta. But contrary to that, and the counterpoint is they will be increasing their spend on TikTok. And the reason for the spend on TikTok is of its uh, entrenched um, uh, uh, demographic, it's uh, it's uh, it's good platform, and also we've started to see some excellent reformatting. So we still had that authentic uh, look and feel, but with some really clever additional features like little comments um, uh, to aid the product endorsements, or we have uh, certainly interesting more videos. It still, as I say, has this more authentic native um, feel feel and look about it. But in addition to that. They're going down the route of sort of very good, sort of paid for too. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of uh, TikTok as a product. Uh, let's ignore the political sort of uh, issues surrounding TikTok. But as a product offering, I think it's a phenomenal platform for chief marketing officers to continue their spend and will continue their spend next year as, as per the surveys that I've read. So um, in answer, short answer, yes, it will rule 2023. And with three seconds to go, and with a thank you at the end as well, probably makes it two seconds to go. Absolutely magnificent, Maureen. And serious point, we need to get on TikTok to promote this podcast. It'll be fun. Um, I'll have to come up with some ideas. Claire, over to you. One minute, uh, just to reiterate the subject is, will TikTok rule in 2023 too? 
One minute, Claire, starting now. Uh, it's interesting. I, I agree with Maureen that TikTok is on a, an upward trajectory, although their parent company, ByteDance, has just been announced that they've lost $7 billion last year. So it's not like they are healthy financially yet, but they are developing new advertising um formats they are also increasingly doing deals with create with official creators in 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 including sports uh clubs for instance which is the strategy that youtube did followed at some point to try and increase their cpms by having more official premium content the interesting thing about tiktok which actually also happened to youtube is that they're becoming a search engine at some point, I don't know if this is still true, YouTube was the second biggest search engine in the world after Google. People would go to YouTube to look for things. And it's now, there's been a lot of surveys showing that uh, TikTok is the preferred search engine for the younger generation. So it'll be interesting to see what that does to them. And one second, this is absolutely remarkable. Um, yeah, one second, maybe even less than one second. A beautiful arc, a beautiful I just looked at the watch Adam? going like, oh my God, I have to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a high-pressured stuff, this. But not only did you create your own art, but you added beautifully to um, Maureen's conclusions as well. I love that one. 100 points each. Magnificent. Um, moving on. Do you have, do you have gold um, stars, Oliver? That's what I want to know. Well, yeah. if there is a, a metal I can think of, more precious. I want platinum. Platinum. Yeah. Or can Einsteinium. <laughs> yeah. One of the really Maybe unstable... Maybe we can give out power coins because they're not worth that much these days. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> One of those highly unstable metals at the end of the periodic table. Um, yes, no, this is absolutely magnificent so, so far, but we've got to keep up the pace because we have limited time to get all this uh, wisdom out. So the next one, it's a subject and it's for Claire. And the subject is, um, well, it's some thoughts, really. So uh, it's some thoughts about subscriber growth, uh, subscriber growth, I should say. Um, ARPU, A-R-P-U, uh, we know what that means, and churn for SVOD. Um, so quite a big subject, but I think you can do that in two minutes or less. Claire, over to you. You have two minutes on that subject of subscriber growth starting from now. It's a topic that I find fascinating. What uh, what what gets people to subscribe to a service, a dashboard service? And I'm specifically talking here about uh, subscriber VOD because that's what we've been talking about. Uh, what What is the trigger that gets people to think, you know what, I am going to subscribe. What is the trigger that gets them to stop subscribing at some point? And what are the barriers that you can create? And I think for a long time, uh, as about platforms didn't really have to think about that, especially Netflix. They just added content. They kept adding subscribers. There wasn't that much competition, etc. But now that there is much more competition and there very very minimal barriers to, to turning to switching off a, a subscription they are having to think about it much more and I think a good model to look at is the mobile network providers which have turned this into a complete science in terms of saying thinking you know how do we prevent people from switching as you know it became so difficult to switch mobile mobile providers that the, the regulator had to stay step in but there are things like locking you into a two-year contract there are things like providing certain benefits that you know only come on if you've been around for a long for a long time etc and i think what we're going to see is the esvot providers starting to do a lot more of this we're starting it with it started with amazon uh bundling it looking like uh, disney is going to bundle as well disney went for a, for an annual subscription that was a much reduced fee so that people would subscribe annually rather than monthly which obviously reduces churn and then netflix is the outlier and they're still going with their monthly subscription 
with with no limit, with no locked in per period. I'm just very curious to see what what will happen to that as churn increases, which it will do. And I'm going to stop here. Thank you, Claire. That's a, yeah, that was a lot of material as we thought there would be squeezed into uh, just under two minutes. Amazing stuff. Yes, I'm a Sky VIP, for example. I don't even know what that means. Maybe I should investigate that. Maureen, over to you. You have a minute to respond to the wisdom of Claire, uh, a minute or less, starting from uh, now. Yes, and the wisdom of Claire, I love that. Uh, so I mentioned two companies, Spotify and uh, the news, uh, News UK, uh, the Times Plus uh, loyalty program. So um, Spotify, I just thought that it was remarkable the way they're able to convert. So if you recall many, many years ago, uh, we were always offered between January and uh, March uh, in any one year, a, a free subscription for less than a pound. Um, and we then, uh, it's a freemium model, we then uh, put up our playlist, developed a, a loyal uh, loyalty to that playlist. And then mir miraculously, uh, we didn't want to switch it off. And in the end, we converted to a paid subscription of $9.99 per month because they'd locked us in. They'd locked us in and our behavior was we wanted to be attached to our playlists. Spotify, I think, is the best in class for how to, one, convert to paid subscribers and then also to retain. So oh, they churn. No. It's a minute. Oh, that is a sh real shame because you're you're absolutely on a roll there. And it, it's, it's that old thing about Spotify. You, you, you can't really stop your Spotify because all your playlists are on there. It's just the, the difference between sound and vision um, is fascinating. However, I believe you managed to get your, your point across. 17 points each and a bronze medal. <laughs> Uh, marvellous <laughs> stuff about subscriber growth. Uh, I, I was amazed that you managed to squeeze so much into three minutes between you. Uh, the next one, it's a Maureen uh, topic next. Uh, and this is the bane of our lives in digital metaverse. Um, everybody wants a metaverse strategy. We're not quite sure what it means yet. Or are we? Maybe we'll find out in the next two minutes because the subject Maureen is taking us through is metaverse versus AR. Discuss, question mark. In other words, is Metaverse simply putting on one of those helmets and uh, going into augmented reality? Um, Maureen, two minutes, please, on Metaverse versus AR, starting from now. So I found it difficult and fascinating at the same time that we do not have one single standard definition of what is the Metaverse. And it was, I guess, brought home to me by, um, by Mr. Cook, by Mr. Cook, who was interviewed very recently to say, look, if we can't define what the bloody hell it is, then what is it? Is it anything that we can really understand, truly understand and operate in and then at least make money in or survive in it? So I was fascinated by that comment. And so I think, I think we have to start at first principles of what are we talking about here? Uh, is it some sort of immersive uh, uh, reality or unreal environment? Is it, uh, is it something which is so fictitious that it's so nebulous, so difficult to really appreciate and wrap your arm around that it just doesn't exist? So you can really get into a philosophical debate about what it is. Um, and frankly, I think, and what I like about it, and I'm going to stay with this, it is what Mr. Cook says. It's basically, if you can articulate it, talk about it and feel it and tangibilize something in it, then that's what it is for him. And I'm going to ascribe that type of uh, understanding and analysis around that. And for me, it remains as is augmented reality. Uh, 
And so I'm going to follow this route that metaverse is interesting. It's so far away, but actually today and in the, in the next year, we are going to be talking about augmented reality, AR. We're going to be talking about devices. We're going to be talking about clever things. I think that Apple will be uh, producing, creating, and then bring into market. And that for me makes it much more real, a real in an unreal environment. So, so for me, I'm saying AR, let's talk about AR and let's not get confused about metaverse. Oh, wow. I was going to say close to perfection, but I actually think you might have uh, you might have reached perfection. Um, it's one of those things, isn't it, uh, Metaverse? If someone says it exists, therefore it exists. Not necessarily <laughs> so. Uh, two minutes on the nose, that was Maureen. And not only that, of course, the story was brilliant. The art was brilliant. The conclusion was um, superb and something I could understand. Uh, Claire, I'd love to hear um, another view on this, actually. Uh, and yours is... The one that uh, I would like to hear the most. You have one minute maximum. Uh, and the subject is, just to remind you, uh, metaverse versus AR. Question mark. One minute starting now. Well, I actually think they are in completely different categories. So I wouldn't put them one against the other. And I agree with Maureen that they keep being being put in the same in the same box. And I don't think they should. I think there is a technology-driven effort around AR, VR, you know, certain types of devices, etc., which may or may not succeed. I think AR has a better chance of succeeding than VR in, in the mass market, but it's a sort of that's that it's it's going to be technology driven. And then there is a, I'm going to say behavior driven thing that's called the metaverse, which is this idea that we may evolve in a we may have another activity, live shopping experience in an environment that is virtual rather than physical. And that can happen today. I mean, it does happen today. When when my son goes on Minecraft and buys carrots on Minecraft, Minecraft he's effectively in a form of metaverse. Uh, so the technology is going to support the oh. development of metaverse. But yeah, I was almost An interesting there. development. Is the crown <laughs> slipping from the head of um, Mr. Vernier there? I feel like I made my point anyway. Two different things. I, I, I can see that you were so immersed there. And I thought she's in yeah. her own metaverse because she's not yeah. looking at the clock. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I thought panic, that. I thought, panic, panic. Is she going to bring it back? Is she going to bring it back? And then the alarm went off. This is great. This is what makes this game yeah. so exciting, uh, I believe. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thanks. Uh, Thanks for the points you made. And, and they, they, they did add to what Maureen had said. I thought Maureen had said it all, but they absolutely added to what uh, Maureen said. Food for thought. I love that one. We'll probably dive into this at some future episode a little bit further. Uh, but now, of course, we have to move on. It's Claire's turn, a two minute uh, chunk. And yes, this is a good one as well. The issue of frequency cap in digital advertising. I think some of the um, time might be taken up explaining exactly what that means. But the subject is the issue of frequency cap in digital advertising. Two minutes, and it's over to you, Claire, starting now. Yes, yeah, so frequency cap, what does that mean? When, if any of you has ever watched something on, on uh, advertiser-funded VOD, you will have had ads come in. And if you're anything like me, you will have had the same ad come over and over and over again. So frequency cap means making sure that the, the person watching the ad doesn't keep watching the same ad. Uh, in television, it's it's done by scheduling the ads and you know that you don't get two ads, either two competing ads or two ads for the same for the same product in each advertising break. But of course, on one of the things that um, 
advertising VOD offers in theory is that you can target your ads. And so you're serving ads depending on who's watching the content. And it becomes much, much harder to manage frequently, uh, to, to cap frequency, to, to make sure that people don't see the same ads over and over again. Uh, Xander, the Microsoft uh, branch that's, that's handling the, the Netflix advertising, has started making deals, but they are not offering frequency cap, uh, and they're offering very limited targeting. And this is all with a, with the CPM of about sixty pounds, which we've talked about, and that's really ruffling the feathers in in the media agency world because frequency cap is something that people hate. Non frequency cap or no cap for frequency is something that people, when they're watching, find very very annoying. I really hate it when there's a third time the same ad at the next break. It's it's very frustrating. Um, there isn't really a solution, so I don't really have anything to offer here, but it is a huge barrier to people accepting advertising VOD. People aren't, viewers aren't necessarily against ad breaks, but they are against repetitive ads that just feels like, you know, it's always the same thing that they're being shown. So how to solve the problem of frequency gap as advertising VOD becomes much and much more uh, prevalent is going to be a big issue. And I'll stop there. Perfect. Oh, three seconds to go. That's really, really impressive. Uh, and again, all points made that were really interesting. Um, and it's this kind of emerging thing that's sort of being being worked out as time goes on, what people will tolerate and what people will pay for. I think it's fascinating. I'm sure there's more to add, Maureen. You have a minute maximum uh, on the subject of frequency cap in digital advertising starting now. <laughs> And Claire's absolutely right. This is a, a, a real issue for um, the advertising community, and uh, uh, non-frequency cap is, is 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 problematic. But therein therein lies the uh, underlying rationale for Netflix and Disney uh, partnering with um, you know very strong, very good uh, advertising technology companies like uh, the Trade Desk and, of course, like uh, Microsoft. Uh, but, but, but Claire's absolutely right. Um, Xander uh, will need to be very mindful of the frequency cap issue. Now, I think interestingly, and uh, Netflix has just announced very recently, in fact, last week, that they have partnered with Double Verify, which is the measurement uh, company. And so I think maybe, you know, they understand that there are going to be some issues. They are now looking at commercial partnerships. They can't do it all themselves. So I think we'll see more and more announcements of how to add uh, expertise to understand this particular dilemma thank you oh this is ridiculous this is ridiculous bang on the money both on both of our timers even though you're struggling to turn yours off it would appear that was magnificent that was really really great um it feels like one of those things that will be solved by technology at some point it just it's very very complicated uh which is all good news for digital consultants uh, i have to say let us move on we're in the um we're in the home straight now, and it's been pretty intense. Um, there's just a couple more to go. Number nine is one for Maureen. And it is two minutes, of course, uh, to discuss the subject. Yes, this is a great one as well. We've talked about it in most episodes up till now, but it's a great one for a two-minuter. And the question is, will Elon Musk, we probably all know who he is, finally buy Twitter? And what next? Question mark. Maureen, you have two minutes on that subject, starting now. Elon Musk, what a character. Um, so I will start by saying uh, he is not going to buy Twitter. He is going to face, I think, a pretty hefty, hefty fine. Um, I just, I just, I just cannot believe that he has the operational 
willingness, know-how to turn Twitter into a money-making machine um, or, or add uh, more to uh, the money-making machine. And, um, and you can just tell that by, uh, as, uh, as the uh, current sort of court case has exposed, a whole raft of text messages uh, that he had uh, shared or had dialogue over text uh, with some very interesting characters, uh, what we call the billionaires community. And, and nobody's come up with any great idea. Um, I was hanging on the hope that you could turn Twitter into a super app, something like a WeChat. Uh, and that's something that's been out there in uh, the rumor mill. Um, but frankly, I just don't think uh, um, I just don't think Twitter as an organization and Elon Musk, as I say, has the has the energy, has the willingness to 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 move the organization in that direction. So what does that actually mean? It means he's got to either spend fifty plus, well, it's forty four billion uh, of his own of his own good earned money uh, to do really nothing, um, or he'll probably be slammed with a fine of say ten billion. The contractual obligations that he's currently under is for a breakup fee of a billion. But frankly, I think this has gone too far. So I think, one, he's not going to buy it. Two, he will have a fine. And three, uh, Twitter will just go on its merry way. That's my take on Elon Musk at the moment. Little short of magnificent. One second, the car horn goes off and you tell the story. Very feasible. Uh, logic, I think, behind that. It's amazing how these billions of dollars get thrown around, those numbers. It's uh, frightening. Almost a different different world from the one we live in, but we observe. Um, Claire, you have a minute. Uh, your thoughts, please, on will Elon Musk finally buy Twitter and what next? Starting now. Uh, I kind of hope you're right, Maureen. I'm going to be honest with you. There is another doomsday scenario out there, which I will outline now. Not that I necessarily believe in it, but just for the sake of completeness. The the other scenario is that um, Elon Musk does buy Twitter and that Twitter becomes a very active political agent in the US and strongly... If the, if Elon does buy Twitter, he will get rid of all the management. I mean, it's pretty clear that the that the um, the trust has been broken there. So he'll put in a bunch of new people. He's been very clear as to what he thinks Twitter is there to do. So we can imagine the sort of people he'll come in. I don't think profitability would be his primary goal if he did it. He'll probably change the board as well. And Twitter may become a huge influence in the next presidential election in the US. And that is quite concerning and worrying and potentially a realistic option. But I hope you're right. Goodness me. It's become as it's become as regular as Haaland scoring in the premiership. Uh, that is Claire hitting her minute or two minutes and also uh, adding something as well and coming up with uh, a different angle on that. That is a bit scary, actually. I don't even want to think about it too hard. Um, it's number 10. We've uh, made it to the 10th uh, micro subject to deal with. Uh, remarkable. So this one's a good one as well. Uh, it's for Claire. You have two minutes. And this is uh, the discovery of content. Uh, and what a pain that is. So it's discovery of content as a major pain point. And there's a fact associated with it I can hardly believe. Can it really be 100,000 new songs added to Spotify daily? That sounds absolutely uh, extraordinary to me. But uh, if it's true, uh, that is uh, amazing. Um, so, Claire, you have two minutes on the pain of discovery of content starting now. 
Yes, yes, it's a true stat that has just been released. Spotify, there are a hundred thousand new. I mean, there are new new songs or new versions of songs uploaded to to Spotify daily. That is up from sixty thousand a few months ago and forty thousand two years ago. It's just going up exponentially. There's more and more content. There's a similar stat which I don't have uh, for YouTube videos. There, you know, there's more and more. I don't even want to know how many podcasts there are uh, that are uploaded every day, but probably a very large number as well. Um, it's impossible. It would take, I think somebody said it would take 500 years to listen to the entirety of the Spotify catalog and it might even be more than that. And it becomes, it, it highlights really the issue, which is that creation of content is not a problem anymore, but the discovery of it has become a major, major pain point. How do you find out when there is a new person coming? You know, there's, you know, is it the radio? If, if people aren't listening to linear radio or watching linear television or going to live events, how do you discover new artists, new content, etc.? So what is happening is that marketing costs, on the one hand, marketing costs are exploding. Uh, so people are spending huge amounts of money on marketing campaigns for new content. On the other hand, uh, big studios are relying more and more heavily on brands that are already known. So there's the famous House of Dragon kind of example, or Marvel or Star Wars, etc., because that reduces your cost of discovery because you already have an, an established fan base. I think that's going to become a bigger and bigger problem. And I think solving it, if somebody manages to solve this, uh, will, uh, will, make, will make a huge difference to the industry. I will come back and say one of the reasons why cinemas aren't dead is that cinemas are one of the primary sources of discovery. And I think people are coming back to it, including Netflix, because actually, if you can get a cinema release, a theatrical release, you can get people to see your movie. And I will stop now. Good Lord. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, yeah, that was two minutes and half a second. And and that was only because you said, I'll stop now. If you'd stopped then, we would have had a perfect, perfect uh, 10 out of 10 uh, with a perfect dismount, uh, to use yet another sporting analogy. Uh, Maureen, over to you for the final time, sadly, for a minute. And it's um, about the pain of discovering content starting now. I'm absolutely amazed. Well, I could use the word flabbergasted because it's Friday morning. Um, that nobody's come up with uh, an uh, algorithmic-based uh, recommendations engine, you know, or discovery engine. It, 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 it just, it just, it seems so obvious. It seems so obvious, and it's so lacking. Um, and I remember two things. You know, uh, Amazon back in the day, you know, it had an excellent recommendations book engine. You know, and, and and recommended by either a small community of interest that you belong to or, or just overall general um, recommendations engine. And it was simple but effective. Um, and, and so for me, um, I mean, I'm very much leaning towards uh, recommendations within the community. So I get all my sort of, you know, discovery of, of music through friends and family and acquaintances, and, and 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 I trust those individuals. So I agree with Claire. If someone can come up with a trusted recommendations engine, they will have the holy grail. Right. As far as my clock, and my <laughs> clock is the official clock, uh, remember um, how important it is for me to be in control. Uh, that was spot on. That was, that was just 60 seconds, bang on. Absolutely remarkable. And again, added something to it. If only, um, apart from the um, interesting stuff about discovery, also the interesting fact that Friday is the best day to use the word flabbergasted, which I didn't realise. Yeah, um, so you I didn't know that. That's amazing. I love that. 
I like that. It's a Friday. So let's use flabbergasted. Um, well, the scores are in. And uh, let me have a look. So, Claire, uh, I'll announce your score first. You've scored um, a million points. And oh, uh, Maureen, you've done uh, 2,000, You got there within a million points. A million points. Yes. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's amazing. If, if indeed impossible. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, so you both I, get a medal. medal. I want to hand the crown to, uh, to Claire, though, um, because I think she did a superb job in the first, uh, in the first part of the, this, uh, this game. Oh, I, think we, I think we all own the crown. It was <laughs> I have to say, I loved hard. it, but it was really hard. Uh, I, uh, but I enjoyed it. And the, I think, you know what? I think the person who needs the crown really is Oliver because he kept us the yes. time. He was a very, well, very no. good um, you know quiz what? master. It, it, so well done. Once you get into the rhythm, you're very, very sweet. That's very sweet. But once you get into yeah. the rhythm, it's quite easy. And it's also really, I think in terms of interesting facts per minute, I think we've uh, blown our record. <laughs> um, but it was good fun. It was really good. I mean, congratulations uh, to both of you. That was uh, that was great, and uh, a fitting end to our tenth episode. I don't know how we're going to squeeze twenty in on our twentieth episode, but uh, anyway, um, just to let uh, everybody know <laughs> that we are um, we are planning um, new things for uh, the next set. We've got um, some guests lined up, uh, which we won't reveal, but we want to tease uh, in uh, uh, the next episode or two, and we'll be uh, continuing looking for other interesting people in the media industry to talk to. Uh, but for now, uh, unless there are any final conclusions, um, it just remains for me to thank Claire. Thank you very much. I will say two things. First of all, uh, please subscribe and rate the podcast if you are indeed listening to it, because it helps us. And uh, secondly, happy 10th. <laughs> indeed, yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. Rating and thumbs ups are all, and likes are all those good things. And finally, Maureen, end of episode 10, thank you so much to you as well. And thank you very much, Oliver. And it's a pleasure uh, and I, uh, to, to work with both of you <laughs> and also for the next decade, <laughs> the next 10. <laughs> Here's the next 10. Thanks again and bye for now.